Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project, and your host for this podcast. You guys, I recently had the pleasure of hosting two full storytelling days where women sat down with me and shared one absolutely stunning truth after another. They talked about their bodies, about beauty, about belonging, or often about not belonging to the world around them. They were brave and they were beautiful, and I am just so privileged by the fact that I get to share all of that brave beauty with you. First up from the most recent round of interviews is Ashley. Ashley is a mama, a wife, and a woman who has spent a lifetime trying to compensate for feeling like she was taking up too much space in the world. She tenderly shared a story from her childhood about understanding that she just didn't fit and went on to reveal the ways that she has worked to develop a personality that distracts people from the size of her body. We talked about people-pleasing and the inevitable loss of self that we discover when we are constantly hustling for acceptance. We talked about raising daughters and the fact that we absolutely must unpack our own pain in order to be present to our girls. We talked about fear and pain and loss, and we talked about courage and hope and joy. There is one part of this interview in particular that just moved me. Ashley steps into a truth about her body, and she said it out loud for the very first time. She said it with a shaky voice, almost a whisper. But she said it. She used her voice to own the body that has helped her survive. And I am absolutely certain that this is just the beginning of the truths that Ashley will uncover with that powerful voice of hers. So drop in with me and spend a moment or two with our brave and beautiful Ashley. All right, this is my friend Ashley. And Ashley and I actually do not really know each other that well. Um, This happens to me a lot, though, where there are people that I um, intersect with that I'm like, they just pique my interest or catch my attention. And you were one of those people probably from the very beginning. So how we know each other, how we were introduced, is through this startup nonprofit that I run called Lead Her. And Ashley um, is a participant in the Strike and Match Mentoring Program. And uh, I first just heard a little snippet of her story. She was paired with a mentor that she was with for a year. A little. Are you, are you guys? Do you guys still meet? Mm-hmm. Very cool. It's it's Jill, right? Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, that was awesome, and we just sort of ran into each other at events and things over the course of a year. And then I don't know what it was about six months ago, maybe maybe a little longer. No, it was right about the time I was launching the project. Um simultaneously and you know it's funny because we don't really uh this is actually going to be really reflective of how our culture operates so I don't really know anything about you I know um some surface things and then I know what I know from social media and there was a shift there was a shift in how you were what I noticed about how you were presenting yourself in social media it felt more um like you had found some source of power or your voice a little bit differently or something had shifted for you. Uh, I might be making that up. Am I, is that not true? True, not true? Um, no, it, it's 
I didn't, I don't know that consciously I knew it. Okay. I, some things changed dramatically in my life about yep. six months ago. Okay. Um, so, um, I, I think that my outlook on things kind of changed yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so, it felt like that. And it wasn't until you said that during the photo shoot that yeah. I really kind of was like, Wow, maybe she's right. <laughs> oh, good! Yay! Very so, good. Yeah, um, that's good. You know, some I in creating this project, sometimes I'm like, I realize how much I'm doing by instinct and in reading people, and I'm like, well, what if I start getting this wrong? But anyway, so far it's been fine. So we'll just keep moving. Um, so I just sensed. I actually sensed in the beginning when you first submitted your story. For leader, you you submitted your match story, and I I referenced this this week in our email exchange. You, um, it was either you or Jill. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was you. You said something about not wanting your picture posted or being. You were really critical about the photo. Yes, yes. I think I'm pretty. Yeah, because I remember. <laughs> I remember writing back and being like, "Oh, we're not doing that." <laughs> yeah, I wanted you to take a picture of the pop. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. You said, "Could we just post the picture of the soda?" Yeah, yeah that that they were sharing at this meeting. So, um, so I just have sensed that there's a story there, and so I just wanted to invite you to the podcast and hear about your story so thank you for saying yes thank you for asking I know it feels risky and it's a, it's always a little nerve-wracking for people at first so just know that that's normal okay in an hour you will not even know that there's a microphone in front of us and no I'm not getting you drunk to do that it's fine <laughs> that's the whole <laughs> Yay. um so if you listen to the podcast at all which I know you have because you've commented mm-hmm. on it yes. before um I always open with the same question and then we just kind of see what happens from there so I will open with that question oh I forgot we always cheers Oh, cheers. Cheers. Let's do it. So, Ashley, tell me about the first time that you realized that your body was different from other bodies. Okay. Um, I've actually had this answer in my head since your first oh, good. podcast. <laughs> Very good. Um, just because I, I wish something was like this was around sooner. Yeah. And just to hear that other women, I wasn't, you know, the only one who early on kind of felt awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even I even kind of told my husband my stories yesterday so I could practice what yeah, I was Yeah, rehearse say. a little bit. That's fair. Bit, yeah. yeah. And um, so we, I grew up in Moline and then at fifth grade moved to Hampton. Okay. Um, so I was, we were still in Moline, so I know I had to be like fourth, third or fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a younger sister who's four years younger than me. Okay. And I wanted to be a rock star for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom basically told me there were no costumes that would fit me. Mm. And so I kind of had to be the makeshift rock star. Mm-hmm. And my sister, no fault of hers, got to be the really cool costume rock star. Mm. And at that point, it really kind of... I mean, and I, I mean, and I, at that point I wasn't, I mean, I probably was bigger than, but I was super tall. Mm-hmm. Like I got my height mm-hmm. really early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can just remember from then on, it was like, I don't fit into what the other kids fit into. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it, it started for you. It started a sense of not belonging and third or fourth grade is like eight or nine years old. Seven or eight. Yeah. yeah. It, I'm, I wanted to point that out because almost... I'd say 90% of the interviews that I do, um, 
women report a story exactly at this age. I mean, this exact age, over and over and over. It's a, and I wonder if there's a, there probably is developmentally a thing that happens where we start to differentiate ourselves from our parents or from our family. We start to notice social circles. I don't, I could be making this up. I don't know anything about neurophysiology, but I think, <laughs> well, I know for sure that there is a place in development. And so there's that, but then there's also the piece about how we're becoming pretty socially conscious, you know? And I'm confident that that fed into this moment for you of like, what well, I don't belong anymore. Yeah. Which just breaks my heart. And so you mentioned that your mama, um, that your mom was the one who had that conversation with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it really wasn't a conversation. How'd that go? Um, it was kind of, this is, this is where I'm the most scared. Because <laughs> there's a lot of, I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of body issues that I have that kind of stem back to. Yeah. Um, so I know somewhere I've already kind of prefaced her. I'm like, please don't listen to this and be angry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I can really, so I, I want to tell you a small story, okay, just okay. to sort of ease some of that discomfort because I totally understand that fear uh, deeply. So, um, I, in fact, my, I'm going to interview my mom next. That's my next interview. Oh, wow. Well, it's because, well, it's because I want us to tell that story together, but my mom and I have a complicated, sometimes fiercely difficult relationship and sometimes amazing, but... There's been a lot of influence from her, and she's a huge part of my body story. So I was interviewed for this article, and the the um, it pu- it published a few weeks ago. Well, the reporter and I had this this lengthy conversation about my mom's role in my body story. But the truth is that the first time I realized that my body was different from other bodies was when my mom bought me a gym mat and ankle weights for Christmas. I was nine. And the way that the reporter tells this story, because there's more to the story, and I'm gonna, she and I are going to get into it today. There's more to the story. Apparently, I asked for that for Christmas, which tells me that, that the messaging was much older. You know, So she and I, have a, we have our own story to tell. But when I saw that in print, it was only that one line. Oh. Now, this is a two-page article that is a beautiful testament to the Beautiful Project. I could not get past that, that one line. line. I was terrified of what she would think about what I had said. And so what the position I had to come to was to understand that my narrative is my narrative. It's my story. And she plays a part in it, but it belongs to you. And so I get it, and I know that it's scary, and I'm also confident there are plenty of other daughters who need to know it. Okay? Okay. Okay. I'm done now. You can go. <laughs> Proceed. So there, there really wasn't a, a talk. It was just simply, there's not a costume that'll fit you. Mm. And it was just kind of like, we can do this, and we can do this with your hair, and you can call yourself a rock star. Mm. You can call yourself a rock star. Do you remember what you did with that? Um, I, from there, I can't unpack it much more than um, there, there being kind of the start of the resentment towards my sister. Mm. Um, I, I love my sister ridiculously. She's my best friend. It took us a long time to get there. And I think a lot of it was because of my issues mm. with her. Because mm. I, there was a lot of resentment to no fault of her. She didn't do anything but exist. 
Right. But there was... But from a very early age, there was a comparison drawn between the two of you. There was a... And it continued through a good part of our our upbringing. So tell me what you remember next then. Um, next, we moved to Hampton and that kind of... <laughs> that really um, kind of rocked my world. Um, going to this small class that had maybe 30 kids that go from kindergarten till eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever moves in, and mm-hmm. I move in at fifth grade. I'm literally as tall as some of the teachers. Um, every girl there is little. And, I mean, I, I'm you know looking back now, I'm sure they all had their own insecurities. But for me looking in, I mean, we're talking... The cute blonde, the cute redhead, the cute brunette, the... And there were a few, like, of the outcast girls, but it had still been the same group Mm -hmm. from the beginning. So I came in to be the outcast, and I think from that point on, I really became that friend that I will do anything to get you to like me. Mm. I will bend over backwards for you to say you're my friend. And there were, I mean, my (laughs) 10 years were... Horrible. I mean, I would be, I would go to school sicker than a dog because I could not be at school. They'd all talk about me. Mm. So it was like literally I hated to miss because they, when you deal with a smaller school, the catty stuff that I think ends up everywhere, you don't really have any way to escape that catty stuff. No, it's concentrated. Exactly. As opposed to just being able to spread out. Exactly. Like my kids now are, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. And I can easily tell, which, and I'm trying to not just dismiss it and say, go find somebody else, because I know it affects them, Mm -hmm. but it's easier for them to go play with somebody else, Mm -hmm. because they've got 90 fourth graders. I had 30 of those 30, I think maybe 12, 13 were girls, the rest were all boys. Mm -hmm. So I really quickly became the boys girl. Oh, Sure. Um, so I was friends with a lot of the boys, which doesn't do well for your self-esteem with boys either, because then I was the one that was like a sister and mm, friend zone. I was the friend zone 110%, no matter how much I thought they were adorable and yeah, friend and zone. it's, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, I met my husband my freshman year Oh. And that's the only guy I've ever dated. Wow. And I didn't set out by any means to do that. But I remember you start school in what, September? Yeah. Okay, so September we went to homecoming together. His cousin and one of my older friends from Hampton were dating. And so he asked me to homecoming. We went to homecoming together, started dating. And at UT, one of the big things is is when it's your birthday, you do you decorate the lockers. Yeah. And the Hampton girls that I was the closest with told me that they were so mad that he wanted to decorate. Apparently, they had had a conversation with him, and he wanted to decorate my locker. And they came to me and told me, if you don't break up with him, we're done being friends. Oh, my God. Yes. And I literally remember thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Like, here's the first boy that's liked me. Yeah. And And now they're asking me to choose. Exactly. And I always, I always finish the story with, thank God I chose right. Yeah. But I, yes. I mean, <laughs> preach. Oh my but God. Literally, I, that was kind of a turning point for me with 
I don't want to say so much I stopped being the I'll do anything for you to be my friend because yeah. I dealt with that for a while. Yeah. But it was my turning point with kind of my Hampton people and I kind of broke ties with them and they seriously did quit being my friend for a long time. For the rest of high school? Um, we were acquaintances. It was never nasty, but yeah, we were never, never good friends. Oh, girls are, they <laughs> are evil. Oh man. And I think back to some stories. Oh yeah. That's a different story. Okay. So I'm going to back it up. So, um, Sorry, no, no, <laughs> no, it's perfect. You don't need to apologize. So, uh, Hampton was a nightmare. Yes. Okay. And you learned to navigate and survive that by becoming very, doing anything you could to become likable. Yes. In a way that didn't draw attention to who you were embodied physically. Correct. Okay. So. And by that I mean like I would, you know, oh, I'll buy you this or oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do this for you or oh, I'll, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll sneak out if you want me to sneak out or. Did it ever feel like enough? No. 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 It never does. Mm-mm. Hmm. So you, um, so you are navigating this like shark tank kind of, and it sounds like you were probably doing that without a lot of, so you had some naturally developed skills and resources, um, which is always so amazing to me how like extraordinary the human person is because we become so hell bent on survival that we just dig deep and we come up with a way to still belong so that we can survive. It's almost like this tribal or like herd instinct. Like I will, I will fit myself in here so I can survive this. But it sounds like maybe I'm speculating here, but maybe, um, you had to do a lot of that on your own because there wasn't a lot of compassion or understanding at home about that difficulty. Yeah. I would say that's not unrealist or untrue. Okay. My mom was just a very, my mom has never been a loving person. Mm -hmm. Like she's, I love my mom dearly. She's just not the, I'm going to give you a hug. I'm going to tell you everything's going to be okay. I'm going to, it was just kind of life sucks and it doesn't get any better when they're adults Mm. was kind of the message I kept getting. Yeah. Like you got to get through it. They're no better as adults. Wow. And my dad was kind of, my dad just for a long time did my, his own thing. Mm-hmm. He was a big golfer. He mm-hmm. golfed. I mean, he was just, he worked and he golfed and he provided. And mm-hmm. I never, there was never a situation where I was, you know, that I felt the, like a purse string strain or, so, I mean, in my opinion, he, he did very well for us. We never mm-hmm. went without what we needed, maybe not what we wanted, mm-hmm. but, um, but then in his free time, he kind of did him. And he wasn't, um, from very early on, he was not a girl's dad. Got it. So he was filling the traditional male role about, yes, you take, this is how you take care of your family. Yes. And from very early on, the only way to really bond with him was through sports, which oh. I was horrible at. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it sounds like at every turn, as you wanted to fit inside of your family of origin, you just couldn't find one. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
because so yeah so you have a home where you turn a corner and you're like nope don't fit there nope don't fit there and you go to a school where the only way for you to fit is to force yourself into that space really yeah was that really lonely or were you so was it lonely and you were distracted by being so busy trying to make it work do you remember feeling lonely? I remember having lots of, like, absolutely nobody cares if I'm here mm. kind of feelings growing up in early adolescence. That breaks my heart. I can feel that in my throat. <laughs> nobody should feel that way, which is why we're doing what we're doing, <laughs> because there should be space for all of us to belong. Did you attribute, so you talked earlier about, um, about your height. Right, mm-hmm. so you talked about how that was this uh, that made that put you in a position physically to feel like you didn't fit because you right. didn't look like the other girls. Right. So did that keep? I see. I hate saying getting worse because it's not a worse thing. It's like so as you uh, went through puberty, you know that whole process of. Uh, I would assume that didn't get better for you. No, no, it didn't. Because I, I mean, I was always, um, I was always. Also plus size. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, from, you know, fifth grade on, I think I turned, <laughs> you know, I guess now kind of delving into your question about was I lonely? Yeah, because food was my friend. Right. I was happy I ate. I was right. sad most of the time. I ate. Right. Um, I spent a lot of time with my grandma who lived in a bad part of town in Rock Island mm-hmm. at the time. And you couldn't really go outside and she didn't live by kids. So. Grandma fed me right. because it made me happy. Yeah, and yeah. Grandma would never tell me no. And that was like my nurturer growing up. Your grandma. My grandma. Like yeah. she was, I could do no wrong. I was beautiful. I, I was her sissy. But she also never kind of told me that's probably not good for you or, mm-hmm. hey, let's use this option instead. She just gave me whatever I wanted. <laughs> do you think she was loving you the best way she knew how? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my grandma was very similar. Uh, it's funny. We ha- I... I have a feeling that we have some things in common. So my grandma was very nurturing, but she was also without any boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, warm memories for me are always related to food with her. Like, mm-hmm. um, I would stay the night at her house, and there was always cinnamon raisin French toast in the morning. Like, it's always warm, and it's always her own food. There was always this connection that way. So um, one of the things that's really important to me as I do this project We've been inundated with some cultural messaging that I think is bullshit. And I think it's, aside from the things that are obviously bullshit, like, well, all of the weight stigma of this culture. It's obviously bullshit. But there's stuff underneath it. And one of the things that gets shamed in this culture is what we call emotional eating. It gets shamed a lot, right? It's Because it's, that's like a lack of virtue if you're an emotional eater. Right. So one of the things I like to talk about, and I like to have this moment with women who who are like self-professed emotional eaters, because food is biochemically designed to create a, a reaction right. internally. It's it's biochemically designed that way. Like it's supposed to enter your body and it's supposed to create really good feelings in you. Do you know why? No. So you keep eating because we're wired to survive, right? Right. And so we do this thing where we shame ourselves from a virtue perspective because we've fallen into emotional eating. And in this culture, the only way you're supposed to take food in is as fuel. 
okay, if it were if it were meant to be that way from the way it was designed, it wouldn't create the experience it creates for us. And so one of the things I've been really working um, or trying to encourage or invite women to do is to understand that our relationship with food was developed um, usually in response to tremendous emotional stressors and to create some grace for ourselves to go, I was just doing the thing I'm actually biochemically wired to do. I like that. What does that feel like <laughs> in you? I mean, really, what if that were actually true? I think you wouldn't have that ashamed feeling. Yep. You wouldn't have that, like, I'm, oh, my God, I'm pathetic. I was having a bad day, and I just ate that whole pizza yes. cake or yep. that whole whatever. <laughs> and is it, I mean, it is just remarkable to me the depths of conditioning that exist for us because we're able to connect the word. We're able to take the sentence you just said, I am pathetic. And then the, the follow-up sentence is about, is about what we put in our mouths in a, in a way that, that did exactly what it was supposed to do. So um, the upside to that is that I really believe that if a story can be taught, it can be untaught. And I really think that this part of the story can be untaught. I've started instead of, so one of the things that's true about emotional eating, at least in my experience, is when you enter into it, you actually physically check out because you're so inundated with shame. It's not like you sit with a piece of cake and take it in and taste it. Generally, we eat it fast, right? Right. Would you say we eat it? I mean, if you're oh, yeah. engaging in emotional eating, and I'm making air quotes for the podcast. Well, because that would be where my mom would tell me, like, you're supposed to chew your food 40 times. Oh, right. Got it. That will make you feel full faster. No, it does not. It just means it slows down the process. <laughs> Let's get this shit done. Right. Like, Come on now. Like we'll sit down yeah, and be done. So I can feel better. Okay. And I think that I think if we could just lean more into the experience of going, I feel better because it's designed to make me feel better. So I'm not gonna feel real bad about that anymore. I mean, if we can release little pieces of this story. And so um not real sure where I was going with that, other than I heard so much. Without you saying the self-judgment, I could hear so much of it in the way that you talked about that food was comfort to you. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was attached to a person who brought you comfort. Mm-hmm. So um, if I were like capable of absolution, I would absolve that, I don't know, 13, 12-year-old you and just set you free with the understanding that you were doing exactly what you're wired to do to survive which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. So now I'm feeling kind of emotional about that. <laughs> so let's move on. Not more sure. more yeah. the way. <laughs> Sorry. Like, oh, that was... It's true, though. I want us to find more of that space for each other. Um, okay, so you've got grandma. So you have a little space in the world to feel like you belong. A little bit. Just a teeny. She- Unfortunately, passed when I was relatively young. How old were you? Um, I want to say 12. 11 or 12. Oh, so gosh. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't, I mean, I probably didn't word, because she wasn't there for the Hampton. Oh. So she was there for the, you don't, you don't fit into the cheerleader, you don't, and the start of it, but she always told me I was beautiful. So it wasn't until like the, I'd lost grandma 
we had been in Hampton for a little bit because I think she moved. I, I do remember that's why we bought the house in Hampton so that she could move in with us mm. and then health-wise kind of. So we weren't in Hampton for very long. Okay. Um, and it hadn't, I, I know I didn't hit like the teens yet. Mm-hmm. So when we lost her. I'm so sorry. That was your space. That was my space. That was my person. Mm. And to this day, like it, it, like even having, having the girls, like I know that they would have idolized that woman. She would have idolized them. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely would have been another person that thinks they're as cool as I think they are. <laughs> yeah. So I have, I mean, like especially with like Mother's Day, I have a hard time at times because she would have been my cheerleader through. I don't think it would have taken me as long to be comfortable with who I am. Yeah. Had she been around longer. Yeah. So. That's really sad. I wish that that had been different for you too. So you lose your cheerleader. And uh, so, yeah, the chronology, I got the chronology a little screwed up there, but it's okay. We can recover. So you lose your cheerleader. You move to Hampton. You've got nobody and you develop this coping mechanism of being all the things to all the people because physically you didn't fit. And then you meet your husband, your freshman year, mm-hmm. and you chose wisely. <laughs> so when were you guys... It was in the universe's plan. Yes, because <laughs> you definitely needed somebody in your corner. Yes. Has he always been in your corner? Um, I, I, yes, um, we definitely grew up together. Um, and I didn't always listen to or believe him like it took me I would say it's taken me a long time and I would say just recently I kind of said okay this guy loves me (laughs) like he finds me beautiful because I can't I mean he's been with me through so many ups and downs wait what you know and all Mm -hmm. and I think he's he's always you know loved me and told me I was beautiful I just don't think I ever let myself believe it Mm -hmm. um from very early on I thought I had to do what I had to do to keep him happy. Oh, so same coping mechanism. Same coping mechanism. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was probably, we were probably too active too soon. Mm. Just because I had to keep my boyfriend happy. Sure. So, I mean, I feel like... Too by soon no for means, you. Too, yeah, too, especially now having kids that are like, <laughs> right around, and I'm like, oh my God, John, we were how old? And, I mean, and it wasn't a, we have to to just stay my girlfriend kind of a thing by any means on his end. Mm-hmm. It was more society and what I knew other friends were doing. And I thought, okay, well, if other friends are fooling around in this way, mm-hmm. I should also so to I keep, keep him. him. Yeah. So. I really see some protection in that process, though, because of how you chose, you know. So there's this guy that. Because that could have gone differently. That piece, the giving away your the, the giving yourself away sexually, it's a comment. I mean, it's that's so many women do right. that to keep the, to keep the attention of the person that they love, you know. And sometimes we choose wisely, and sometimes. Oh, I, I mean, it was nothing short of divine intervention because yeah. there is, I mean, I, I I don't know how it happened that we. We found each other when we did, and I did. He didn't end up this horrible story for me to tell my kids about. Don't do this too soon; you'll regret it. Yeah. Um, And I think a part of me being an older, more mature woman, I still, when my kids get to that stage, I will tell them that 
that in that way like don't because you have to love who you are yeah and for that reason I regret it because I don't I didn't do it for the right reasons yeah but and I did it because I have to do anything to keep people to like me I have to you know people aren't gonna like me for me Hmm. pause on that I want to know so let's dig underneath that for a little bit okay Okay. people aren't gonna like me for me what are they gonna find out I'm I don't know (laughs) that I'm I'm not always bubbly. I'm mm. usually rather cranky. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of baggage that comes with, you know, there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of baggage. I have a temper. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of snarky at times. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I just. So you've curated the image of, and you are, you I want you to know that it's not just the image, actually, because I can feel it on you, that you have a, um, you have things running through you that are sincerely that sparkly thing that you put off. I can feel it. I, I know this from my own experience, too, because I used to say all the time, I used to constantly say, what'll happen when people find out? Well, find out what, you know? And then I would play with it, too. And I'm like, they'll find out that I'm not... I'm not always on it, you know? I'm not I'm not what people think I am. And so then I would play with this narrative of what do people think you are? Well, people think that I have it to, I have it together. You know, I have my own narrative about what it is that I'm supposed to be. So the more I've been living into my truth and just living into my truth and being like and and so much of that honestly, I didn't realize it, it was connected to the size of my body. So much of it was about me trying to avoid this um like it was like I was trying to avoid my own reflection. It had nothing to do with what anyone else was saying or seeing. I was trying to avoid my own reflection. It was about what I saw when I looked in the mirror. And generally, the, the, the root of that for me, the foundation was, I see a fat woman who can't seem to fix that. I wanted to fix that my whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. So speaking of fixing... Tell me, so you mentioned something about your husband um, loving you through lots of weights. And so have you done anything to, quote, fix your body, unquote? Oh, my gosh. If there's a diet, I've tried it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, I would say from very early on, I was probably at my smallest eighth or high school graduation. Um, I literally exercised all the time went to the gym all the time that was you know and I got super small I was never small enough Mm -hmm. uh we moved out and you can't afford a gym membership when you're paying for an apartment yeah and you're 18 years old yeah you're going to college so I you know and you eat bad because you're poor yes yes (laughs) so I put it all back on and then right I got super and Every time I lost the weight, it literally became, like looking back on it now, it literally became my life. In, right. The losing the weight and the then the lo- keeping the weight off. Yes. yes. Like I, I talked about food. Yes. I talked about exercise. That's all I did. I never really enjoyed myself. We'd go out to, you know, if we went out to eat, it was like, oh, how many calories? Just, like it literally consumed. And at the time I didn't see it, but now looking back and dealing with some other things going on now... It's like I, it, I, it just was crazy, and I lost, I lost over 150 pounds and got pregnant. Mm. And I can honestly say, 
besides the fact that I had twins and that it was a difficult pregnancy, I hated being pregnant because I felt like they ruined me. Oh, yeah. Because Because you'd finally gotten there. Exactly. I was finally getting small. I was running. I was enjoying myself. And I was finally getting somewhere. And then I get knocked. Which, granted, I know what causes that. (laughs) Well. it's, uh, It's not like it's their fault. But I had a really hard time getting my head around being pregnant mm-hmm. because all I focused on was I'm getting fat. And then the cosmic universe thought it would be even funnier to make me be pregnant with twins mm-hmm. and then to put me on bed rest at 20 weeks. So it's like whatever I and it was like I literally was like they blew up a balloon and I gained it all back. And I because I had to be in the bed in my bed, my husband would pack a lunch for me. Mm-hmm. So I ate nothing but processed foods mm-hmm. and bad, you know, so I gained it all back and when I lost it, I or when I had them, I had two kids to care for. I yeah. like I was never able to live my life and work out. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited that you just said that. Because For so many reasons. Okay, so, you know, the narrative, uh, the cultural narrative about fat people is that they're lazy and undisciplined. That's the thing, right? And that obviously there's so much fast food and crappy food. I mean, there's just so many ridiculous lists of assumptions that, as you know, make me batshit crazy. I lose (laughs) my mind over them. Um, But one of the things that I think is... uh, So, let me back it up a little bit. We are very comfortable when we see thin people and thin people go, it's just my genetics, like my metabolism's great, right? And that is an acceptable explanation. Mm -hmm. This is basic logic. If it is true that our metabolism can produce somebody who can eat 4,000 calories a day and not gain an ounce, it is equally true that we are wired metabolically differently. And it is equally not uh, it's not a an attribute or a virtue for the thin person who can eat four thousand calories a day and not gain an ounce. It's not an absence of virtue for the fat person who has to become obsessed with what they put in their mouth and, and how they move their body to be thin. But we're really comfortable culturally going. The metabolic explanation works for the thin person, but it's an excuse for the fat person. Right. That's bullshit. I I have twins that can prove that to you. Oh, tell me about that. Because they they don't eat anything different. I cook the same meals. Yes. They do, at this point, still do the same activities. Yes. And I have one who is, she's my mini-me in more ways than one. That's a whole other. (laughs) But (laughs) she's taller, but she's bigger. She's going to be, and then I have another one that is a little bit shorter, but she's petite built. You Mm. can tell it. And it, it, that, that, like my relationship with them, their relationship with the world really, I think it has me really digging deep with a lot of the issues that we've talked about here because I don't want them to be sitting in my place in 20 years and not in a bad way, but I don't want them to have body issues. I want them like you to say, this was how I was made. I love who I am and you get what you get. And and it's hilarious because my daughter that is that, you know, my mom would say is a little on the plus size, Mm -hmm. um, very much has that attitude. She does. Oh yes. You, she is her own person. You get her and you either take her as she is or goodbye. And my petite one that will probably always be petite 
is the I I hate to have you not like me. She's the what pleaser. I, she's the pleaser. Oh man, that's wow. <laughs> so that takes your whole whole thing. I mean, it, it proves it right there. They eat the same exact yep. things. When one has an ice cream, the other one doesn't have carrot sticks. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is just supportive of the entire narrative that we we have to stop doing this to our women. We have to stop doing this. We have to stop leveling the verdict that you lack virtue. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons I use the word fat so often. I do it intentionally because it is a it is a description of something that's true about my physical state. The same as I have curly hair or blue eyes, and the culture's taken it and they put a level of a layer of virtue on it. So. To be fat is a, is now a, it's a criticism, whereas it's really just an observation. And the second that I think we can move into that place and we get to own some of that power back again. Do you know what I mean? Right. Okay, so you when you look at me, you see a fat person, okay? But you also see somebody who has curly hair and blue eyes, and then if you interact with me for a little bit, you're going to find out that there's a tremendous amount of depth underneath all of that. I've got stories, and I've got... Um, and I can entertain you, and I can be friendly, and I can also be snarky and bitchy. And I, I'm just a human. Right. Just showing up as a human in this human body in which I belong. And I think that part of the way we start to do that is that we give permission to ourselves and to the people around us to sit with our own reflection long enough and then, and then find it true. Find, find all the true things about it, you know? I was talking to a woman recently. She was, we were having a conversation about... Um, our reflections and we were talking about how often I mean do you like obsessively check your own reflection in like do you walk by windows or mirrors and just check real fast yes okay (laughs) we all do it obsessively right and I used and actually now that I've moved into this space about being more accepting in my body I'll notice I walk by I walk down streets and I haven't even looked because here's what happened. I sat with my reflection long enough to, I know what I'm going to find there. I used to look at it real quick and was it an accepting glance or did I instantly judge it? Mm. Lots of judge. It was, it was Lots a, yeah, it was a glance and it was, I can't believe I've gotten that fat. And then it was a glance away. And then the next mirror I saw, glance, judgment, back. I didn't even know what I freaking looked like. I never looked long enough. Oh, take pictures of yourself. Oh, delete that. Yes. It's like you can't look at the picture and see the memory. You look at the picture and be like, I cannot believe I let myself get that fat. Yes, right. So um, one of the things that I want to share with you that helped me get there, because I really, not because I give two shits what you think about the word ultimately, but I want you to be free from the judgment around the word. It might sound silly, but um, I started to take it. So I do have a pretty consistent practice of meditation, but I got to the point where I wrote the word down. I wrote the word fat down, and then I just said it to myself. I am fat. I am fat. I said it long enough that it became sound because that's all it is, actually, right? And once I let it, it was almost like I had to take the word and let it filter through me And it moved through my head, which is full of so much cultural narrative about what it means to be a fat person. And then it moved through my throat, which made me feel constricted, and and it it tightens my chest. But ultimately, once I let it pass through me, all that was left was just me. 
And I promise you, that is what you'll find if you let the word just move through you. Because it's just a word. And, the, and, the, and you've got a daughter that you've already said, she's already, she's already walking into, I've got power in my voice, you know? Imagine how much power she could find if you could look at her and go, this is the body you're in, and that's just a word, baby. It's just a word. I know you have that in, in you. And see, and I feel like I shield her from that. Yes. Because I can see that she is already such an amazing yes. human being. And I'm like, I get super, I get super mama bearish mm-hmm. when that word is even brought up. Yeah. So. Because it, you use it as judgment to yourself too. Right. Yeah. I get it. I do. But do you, I, so I'm not able to find power in avoiding it anymore. Like for me, I couldn't avoid it anymore. I couldn't glance in mirrors and avoid it. I had to go, no, this is who I am. It's, and I might lose weight. I might not. I don't honestly care. I don't care. But I, I had to like, it's like the bomb squad goes in and they, you know, uh, what's the word when they go in to like undo a bomb, you know, not detonate it, but I don't know, but oh, you know what I yeah, mean. I know yeah, you're, I know what you're describing. I can't find the word. <laughs> At any rate, bomb squads go in and they make bombs non-explosive anymore, right? I can't figure out the word. I'll find it afterwards. <laughs> but the only um, you can't lay over the bomb. If this is if this is the body she's in, uh, I really think it's on us to teach our our children how to live in the body they're in. And she's not going to be able to be shielded forever. People will say, people are idiots. Well, and we've already had those conversations. Yeah. And I've just told her that, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, we've had conversations about how amazing she is. And like I said, she's got, she's got more self-awareness and yeah. pride than yeah. I have, I think, even to this day. I mean, she's just, she's, she's just, she's, she's her own unique person. Like yeah. she... She dresses uniquely. She oh, I like this girl. Oh, she's amazing. She, I mean, and both my kids are amazing. Sure, but I mean, it just it amazes me at Ari at such a young age that if she wants to wear really tall mermaid socks and that's what she wants, she really doesn't care what you say. Mm. And so I've had to walk very delicately because in my head, mm. you're like, I oh my god, care people, what people yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm trying to unpack that and not be because then in the back of my mind I'm thinking, what's worth the battle like it, it do, is do I it, does she, is she going to be harmed by mm-hmm. you know because I think as a mom you want to protect them I don't yes. want people talking to me but so if she's happy leaving in them do I want to raise her up to how to deal with to just be comfortable in her and know that they're like you said it's just a thing and people are gonna say it but you gotta do you or do I want to be like oh you have to please them because I don't I want the pleaser I want her to go more towards the be happy with who she is and not because it scares me because, you know, like I said, I look back on how much I did to please people and I'm more worried for my pleaser than I am for my mm. for my unique unique twin, I guess. I could yeah. Say. yeah. You know, parenting's really hard. It's oh, so hard. Can we have that conversation <laughs> oh, real fast? Yes. There's no manual. No. Especially girls. Mm. Well, and I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I, I don't know boys. No, I, I have know. boys. It's fine. Especially <laughs> girls. You can say it. It's so much more complicated. How old are they? Remind me. Ten. 
oh my gosh, and of course you're super sensitive about it right now because it's the same age you were when your whole life, like, yeah. upside down. Yeah. So you feel really vulnerable, I'd guess. Yeah. Hmm. I think you've landed on some wisdom um, about your... You've referenced it more than one time. Um, that you are trying to find a space where maybe you are more free from the things that have bound you as far as your understanding of, I need to make people happy to be liked or please people. You know, so it seems like you've shifted a bit to go, maybe part of how um, I can parent is to find these things in me. Mm -hmm. Tell me, was there some, like, was there something that shifted for you there that kind of helped you to turn that corner? Um, I would say... Honestly, and I'm not saying this because of who's sitting across from me, but having a mentor, having oh. having Jill in my corner, somebody that by no means has to like me. She's not my mom. She's not my sister. Yeah. There, she could have met me and been like, yeah, no, we can do the casual. But, I mean, she really, I mean, generally cares and checks up on. And even mm. if we go, I mean, when we sit down and talk, she want I mean she's got older kids so she wants to talk about that space and parenting and talk about the navigating you know the working mom space and Mm -hmm. um and I had been I had always you know I think settled and I had always just did the job that kind of I didn't I never really went out and looked for jobs Mm -hmm. um because it was just like oh so-and-so can get me on here, and then I don't have to go through that interview process where somebody might judge me and not like what they see. Mm. Because right. when you don't like, you know, when you have all that issue, the last thing you want to do is go through an interview process. What? So, but what were you afraid they would see? They, they would see a fat girl. They don't want to work with a fat girl. Right. You can't be. And so, you know, I had I had been somewhere for quite, quite a long time, mm-hmm. and literally was miserable was so unhappy um and I had I I liked my work I liked the industry that I was in but it's just the place that I was at I was how do I say this without bad it was male driven and I yes it's a male dominant culture yeah and it was very much obvious that I was not the cutest girl there got it and so I always kind of felt like that was a factor and I had a company reach out and want me mm. and Jill made me feel like you need to own why they want you you need to trust in the fact that they like you and they like what they see and own that and be comfortable in that and just let them see you and I went somewhere that loves I mean, I... Loves who you are. Yeah. They love who I am. Don't look at you and go, fat girl, can't do a job. Exactly. We're not going to send her out to network. They'll see a fat girl. They, uh, there's so much support and love. And I think once that all clicked, Mm. it gave freedom for other things to click. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, like I said, my husband has always told me I was beautiful. And always told me he was attractive to me. And always, you know, at some point, I think it went to the point where he's like, I'm attracted to you. Why don't you like me? You know, kind of. Because yeah. I would just, no, you don't. And what, whatever. Just go away. You don't like me that much. And it was like, if these people can like me, maybe this whole time, what he's been saying. is true, too. Is true, too. 
And I think that was kind of when it was like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of partner that up with trying to parent the girls through a very, because I feel like this last, you know, 10's been very trying for my very outstanding one because mm-hmm. she's really kind of trying to help navigate her differently than how I navigated or was mm-hmm. navigated through that phase, both of them. Yeah. Um, and helping them find their own and not making their size difference an issue. Yeah. Right. And so I think all of those things kind of, kind of detonated at the same time for that mind blowing, like, okay, I could be me and people might still like me and I don't have to always be on. And Tell me what that song means to you because that song, th- This Is Me. Oh, I bawled the first time I heard it. Yeah. Like I literally bawled because, yeah, it, it just, mm-hmm. it. I feel like it, it, it's exactly where I'm at right now. I mean, I'm coming into the fact that I don't have to I don't have to always be on. I don't have to always be. I, You know, I always used to think that I was smiling bubbly because I had to be on. And like you said, I think I'm kind of finding that I, I like to smile. I'm, I'm good at being. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm bubbly. Even when I feel like I'm exhausted today and I traveled this week and it's been a long week, but I still, I'm, that, it is me. That's who I am. And it's okay if I'm. I'm owning my body, and I'm not, and it is, it, I am fat, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it, I'm so much, you know, I'm learning to tell myself that I am so much more. Yes. That really killed me just to say. I know. Fat to say, it seemed I wanted really to say painful. I am plus size. Yeah, which you can. I just, I just think that the word owns us too much. Right. It's annoying to me. <laughs> it really is, because I'm like, it's just a word, and we're so afraid of it, and I really think if we can step into it and go... No, I, it means the same thing. I'm fat and plus size. It doesn't mean anything about the strength of my character right. or my spirit and my contribution to the world or my ability to contribute to the world. Right. It, it means literally nothing. I'm really proud of you for saying it. I noticed <laughs> you like said it, and then you were like, oh, my God. Did I just say that about myself? Everything can be edited right now. Yes, just... it can. But I think I'm probably going to leave that in unless you tell me I have to take it out because it was an extraordinarily brave moment. And the sooner that more um, uh, women of size of any sort are able to start taking that word back, the faster we find some freedom from all the judgment that comes with that word because then we get to control the narrative. And I'm real tired of... Uh, I'm just really tired of a male-dominant narrative because it's really about... It's really about the fact that we've been asked to be constantly beautiful. It's the fact that our bodies have been asked to become an ornament right. instead of an instrument. And um, none of that narrative has anything to do with who, I'm, who I am as a human being or who you are as a human being. It's amazing. Like The more I listen to the Beautiful Project podcast and the stuff, and it, it's amazing that I can go on vacation with my family to the beach, and I'm married I'm not looking for yeah. anybody but have such an issue with like the swimsuit that I'm wearing that literally like my swimsuit I have two swimsuits it's so funny because I have one that looks like a dress mm-hmm. and it covers everything mm-hmm. did my you read my recent blog post yes okay <laughs> I'm just curious go ahead my husband hates it uh, absolutely he's like you look you look ridiculous like not in not in not a mean way yeah you, right but it's we're going to the beach enjoy yourself and the other one I have is more owning of my roles yes. and my and 
to him, it's you're going to have fun at the beach with your kids and your husband. What does it matter? But I'm, I, in, I see that reflection, and I'm like, no, I need to put on the black dress that covers everything. Mm-hmm. That looks better. And so to me, it's just a, it, it, it is, and it, it's probably a work in progress that I'll never... Let me ask you a question. What happens if your daughter's body never changes? I want her to be so proud of who she is okay. and it not to be... Do you know how she's going to know to do it? Through me. She's going to watch other she's going to watch other fat bodies put on swimsuits and have fun at the beach. It's the only way she's going to know. I know. And that's why um and I know you know that. I know you know that and I know you're afraid. I get it. I do. I understand the fear in the core of my being. I get it. <laughs> and I've asked other women, especially especially fat women, I've asked them to talk about what are you afraid of? Like what happens if you just jump into what I'm talking about? What if you go to the beach and you just put on, I'm going to, I, I ordered the bikini. I'm going to wear this bikini. Now, trust me when I tell you, I'm not going to hit the beach and not think about what other people are thinking. I'm still right. going to think about what other people are thinking. I'm hopeful that by an hour in, I forget that it, I forget about all of it. Mm-hmm. Because I am going to be the fat woman who was having a good time at the beach. Why? Because I need to show my daughter that it's possible. I've got to show her. Because nobody else is going to show her. Right. Well, and that's, I think that's where it's, it's, it's amazing that you, I, I'm 100% positive you cannot parent through like the preteen and teenage without having, as a woman, yeah. and not have to unpack your own issues. Gotta because, unpack them. Got to. Because, yep. I mean, and we're kind of in that area. Her sister has a bikini. Mm. And do I get her a bikini or do I convince her to go to a one piece? It's like I should. She should get to wear whatever makes her happy, and learn to love that. And if I and I'm very conscious of what I say in front of them, but then I know, like you said, I worry about. Okay, if deep down, if if it's bothering me, and I wear the dress, yep. Then, like you said, she's not seeing her mom have fun at the beach in a bikini. She's seeing her mom in a complete cover up, and Mm -hmm. she's gonna feel like she has to. Right, because unintentionally then the message is that fat is bad and right. shameful and it should be covered. And it's not true. They're li- it is a lie. It is just a lie. And it is a lie that's meant to control us and distract us from the work that we're here to do. We can call that out. It's okay. <laughs> I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I know. This is... But I technically have to wrap this up. So okay. I want to know... Um, what do you want your daughters to know? If they were to listen to this 10 years from now and all they had left was the last snippet at the end, what's the thing you want them to know? That, that's deep. Can't let me prepare for that one. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, you can take as much time as you need. That we're all amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it, it's true that if, you know, if we were all made the same, what a boring world this would be. Mm-hmm. We're, we all bring things to the table, and those things make us incredibly unique and beautiful and fantastic. And the sooner you learn to appreciate those in yourself and others, mm-hmm. I think what a great world this would be if ever, I mean, if we all just learned to do that. Lived that way, yeah. Lived that way, yeah. Amen. Didn't. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
Thank you so much for your bravery and for your story. Thank you for having me. My gosh. Anytime. All right, friends, that's it for our chat with Ashley. What a woman she is. What a gift this interview was to me. One of the things that's interesting about recording a podcast is that the audience doesn't get to actually see the people on the other end. We have to use our words and our tone to communicate without the benefit of our body language. But there are some interviews that I wish that you could see, and this was one of those interviews. It was just so extraordinary to watch Ashley sit up a little taller, sustain eye contact a little longer, and smile a little more as she moved through her story. It was like I was given the opportunity to watch her unbecome something she didn't want to be anymore and move toward becoming what she does want to be. That kind of transformation is nothing short of miraculous, and I am so grateful that she's let all of us in as witnesses to that work. And I have great news. There is plenty more where this came from. Over the next several weeks, I will be producing more interviews with women like Ashley, brave, beautiful women who are willing to tell the truth about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging. If you want to get in on all of that, then make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about The Beautiful Project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. See you all soon.